Welcome back to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Level, with me once again, uh, Steve Cook. And this is, uh, I guess for this year, our final uh, retro SummerSlam review as we head into uh, SummerSlam 2021, which will take place on Saturday, of course. And uh, we've already went through a couple different SummerSlams leading up to this. We started with 2013, uh, we went to 1995, and now... We will wrap up here before SummerSlam 2021 with SummerSlam 2000. And Steve, as we joked about on the last episode, uh, SummerSlam 1995 was probably a show not a lot of people are going to go back and watch uh, aside from the latter match with Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. However, on SummerSlam 2000, there's actually some stuff you can go back and watch and feel pretty good about it. Uh, There's probably several choices here, a couple in particular uh, that we'll get to here in a second. Well, we're right in the middle of the Attitude Era here, and it's interesting because we all remember 1998, 1999 as being heavy on the uh, on the Attitude, you know, pretty heavy on the uh, drama and the backstage shenanigans and whatnot. And 2000 is kind of remembered as, as the year where they kind of had the best in-ring stuff going on, because you had Chris Jericho emerging, you had the Radicals coming over from WCW, you had like all these people kind of stepping into place and. You know, Edge Christian, Dudley's, Hardy's. It's just, it was kind of a crazy collection of talents getting together here, putting on heck, heck of shows that uh, apparently put everybody else out of business because by the time 2001 rolls around, other competitions gone. So apparently, I, I guess that's what happened, right? I guess I'm sure that somebody would tell me that the, the, everybody would run away because they, they just kicked too much ass. <laughs> well, so what they say on the, I forgot what they said on Man That War. I yeah. think that is what they say, right? Um, yeah, they is, kick so much ass. Yes, that is that is the case. So, but this is a darn good show, though. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and we'll delve into some things. And there's also some stuff that went on that was like, uh, well, okay, whatever. This was it was a mixed bag, but I mean, I think you're getting you're getting more good than bad probably on the show. I think the because the good parts of it get a lot more time i think that's that always so that's true you're you're going back to watch the tlc match or the main event you're not going back to watch the opener yeah and again at least they get more time so that i think you can rate it much higher based on that uh that's what i always look at like if you're trying to rate a show properly it's yes maybe you know let's say five of the eight matches or something if you have on a particular show are terrible but they all go six or seven minutes and then you know your three big matches are great and they all go 20 minutes or something like it's just it's hard to have an which again it's all subjective but uh that's the way i look at it i think overall this you're getting a lot more good than bad on this in terms of your your time investment but uh this is SummerSlam 2000 it is uh, held at uh the raleigh north carolina it's at the arena there in raleigh and the attendance uh, pretty nice little attendance here uh, I think, Steve, I've seen a couple different numbers for this. I want to say it was over 17,000. It may have been close to 18,000. Uh, well, but... I've, I've got the notes right here from Uncle Dave. So what's, I can what's, tell you what's right Uncle now. Dave got? At least reported back on September 4, 2000, uh, they sold out the Raleigh, North Carolina Entertainment and Sports Complex, which probably is a different name by now, to the tune of 17,002 in the building, which was 15,603 paying a million. $151,940, wow. as well as another $147,815 in merchandise. Hmm. The seventh largest, highest gate, live gate in the history of American Pro Wrestling, and the first million dollar gate for an event other than a WrestleMania. How about that? So that's a, some good business in Raleigh. 
Yeah, Raleigh, as we know, uh, never shied away from wrestling, and uh, especially you know now for given where they were, as you just mentioned, in 2000 at this point, pretty incredible to think about uh, the state of things uh, then. And as we know, uh, as we head into 2001, there would be a lot more in terms of uh, what they would do for, of course, WrestleMania, uh, the invasion, all those other things, and and then after that, as uh, as we always say, uh, that's where things start to sort of turn a little bit in terms of maybe uh, them not taking advantage of some of the things they could have. But this is indeed SummerSlam 2000, and uh, what better way to kick off than the video packages, as always. I think this was just that era where you always expected a really nice video package to get you hyped up for everything, uh, and that was no different here. So I, mean, I don't know why they just... I think we said this before, but it's, I don't think they realize just how much easy it could be just to do something like this if it's one minute just have something video wise to really hype things up uh today's when they do this they do it i mean like this doesn't feel like anything like it's just but but i guess i understand because you know they're probably booking at times before you know while the show's going on so uh maybe they don't know everything they need to hype up so um but i, I just you also love, had the you had the involvement of classy freddie blassie here yeah like he he's great like he always yeah. he did like some of the armageddon once i think too that one year Royal rumble yeah. maybe yeah um oh he was yeah he was great on these so uh, that was uh it and then we we go into the show which starts with a six-man tag uh, as you have uh too cool and rikishi Take it on right to censor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steven I, Richards and Bull Buchanan and the, and the good father. Yes. Not the, the Godfather, the, the good father. Last week we talked about uh, the good father as comma. Yes. And now we talk about him as the good father. Uh, we, Which is uh, towards the bottom of his gimmicks, let's be yes, honest. Yes, I think we did rank them last week when we, we went through the Godfather, uh, comma, Papa Shango, and I think the Godfather is going to be at the very bottom of that list. So Yeah, uh, yeah. even below the Soul Taker. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I don't think that was one very memorable. Um, but this was sort of your, or the best way to put it, just I think in this era, like, you, so we saw Too Cool of Rikishi a lot in some of the openers, I think, from what I can remember, like in this era, because... You know, the crowd was hot for them, and I think, you know, that was always something it felt like was a very sort of focused and dedicated move to put them there, knowing that it would get the crowd into it pretty early, um, and you kind of got that here going up against the right to censor group that, I mean, you know, this you talk about groups, you know, we always say about tweeners and all this other stuff, and, you know, even the heels get cheered, but... I don't know who I don't know anyone that was cheering the right to censor unless I'm just completely wrong on that. So I think this was one of those groups that uh, everyone just hated, and um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because they were supposed to be hated, but uh, just the entrance music, everything. Uh, this was uh, this was an interesting match, but I think again it, it just made sense to always put two cool Marquis in this spot because the crowd was into these guys. So. Well, I'm not saying that we like the right to censor, but I will say that uh, a video with uh, me and some friends did for one of our, you know, back in the day, used to do videos in class. And <laughs> yeah. It's mostly just as an excuse for us to goof off and beat each other up. And we did a video where it's about Beowulf, and somehow it included the right to censor, which is us dressed up in, you know, white shirts and ties and whatnot, just beating people up. <laughs> so it was fun to do that, but, uh, you know, it's not like we were cheering for him or anything. Although I will say Stephen Richards was right in that the Bible Belt should support the right to censor. I mean, if you're going to be thumping your Bible, you should be behind these guys, right? You should be against <laughs> the Attitude Era. You should be against the hose if you're going to be thumping that Bible and saying your prayers. So I don't know about all that. 
And also notable, the appearance here of Victoria as one of the heroes yes. that came down the Rikishi. And uh, poor Victoria and the other hero whose name I don't recall uh, got beat up a little bit by the good father, which leads me to wonder uh, what kind of good father is out there beating up women? I don't, I don't understand that either. But uh, man, the, the crowd was excited for this match. Like you said, Rikishi, very popular at the time. And uh, it had some big butt splashes. Unfortunately, they cut off the W-O-R-M spot, which is always a, always a top-notch thing there. And I'm trying to remember how long after this it was that uh, poor old Rikishi went from being this over guy and too cool, always getting cheers, uh, to being a, a bad man who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin that nobody cared about. That is pretty soon after this, wasn't it? Poor Rikishi, became, he was one of the most popular guys, getting all his merchandise sold and whatnot. And man, they just, that poor bastard. <laughs> Yeah, he went from you know making all kinds of money out to you know uh, that poor guy. I feel bad for him. No, the, pe the people loved him. I mean, that was evident here, and was, they turned him for nothing. Yeah, that was that was a very short-sighted move, I think. When you talk about, uh, I mean, look, he saw like merch too. I'm sure. I don't know. The, of course, I don't know the numbers, but I'm sure they were moving merch pretty well. Too cool and Rikishi. He's, he's still kind of he's still popular now, but yeah. I think you know he would he would have had a few more. He would have a longer run there making that money, and I think he'd probably still be more popular today. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was just an interesting group, and as we always say, like, it's how do you get over with the, the fans, right? Well, they didn't get over here because, uh, well, they did with the fans, but they didn't in terms of the wins, uh, as it was right to censor winning this match to, uh, you know, further the, the hatred towards them, I guess, uh, for this one. So that was the opener. And uh, then we get uh, Kurt Angle uh, arriving and uh, Stephanie, of course. We see all this, which, as we know, we'll get to in the main event. This is the big setup uh, for everything going on with Angle and Stephanie and uh, everything that's going to lead to the shenanigans. And there's a lot of this, a lot of this going on the whole show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot happening here uh, that we will, we will talk quite a bit about. Um, and then, uh, we've, you know, we've got the continued stuff with Shane and Blackman, and that's going to lead into their match. Uh, here in a bit, but that will take us to the second match, which was uh, X-Pac versus Road Dog, and um, another one where the X-Members clashing uh, in 2000, uh, and I just thought this was, I mean, look, let's point this out, too. The The opener was, I think, about five minutes. This one was close to five minutes, pretty short, uh, but overall, this just kind of felt like it was there, and I didn't really there wasn't a lot to take away from this for me. No, there wasn't. It was, it was totally a match that was there is a phrase I like to use, but there just was not, not a lot going on here. And honestly, in 2000, at this point, I was not really a fan of either of these guys. They both kind of worn out their welcome to me anyway. And it didn't help that you had like JR and King trying to put them over on commentary as the greatest tag team in WWF history, which I mean, <laughs> Xbox, not even road dogs, best tag team partner. And I'm sure we could think real quick and think of a better tag team partner for X-Pac than Road Dog, right? Probably. It's got to be somebody. Kane. Bob uh, Holly. Kane, right? Like the for him and Kane. Weren't they Sparky Plug. Anyone. Marty Jannetty. <laughs> Marty Jannetty. <laughs> Marty Jannetty. They want a tag team title. You know, I, but, man, I, I, that's just kind of grinding my gears. What can I say? But uh, it's uh, you know, it cute because X-Pac decides to hit the low blow and puts Road Dog out at the X-Factor. And, you know, afterwards, X-Pac wants to still be friends. But, wow, I mean, Road Dog got a little hot because X-Pac him the, him the balls. What's up with that? Yeah. I mean, that, that'll do it. So, 
Um, and I don't remember this led to anything or not. I don't. I, I, don't I, I forgot before even rewatching this. I forgot this match was even. On I'm the pretty show. sure they're all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all friends again at some point anyway. So yeah, I. They at least got inducted in the Hall of Fame. I completely forgot about this. So this this was a very forgettable. Like I said, I think I'm looking at the time. We have four minutes thirty one seconds to what it's listed as. It was a very forgettable match, and and uh, and right after that, I want to point this out real quick. There was a plug for a restaurant. Jim Jim Ross is talking big about this uh, Vinny Steakhouse and Tavern, <laughs> a rare local commercial on the uh, on the pay per view. Which I, as I look in Melcher's notes here, actually, it's a restaurant that is named after after Vince McMahon. He was involved in the original financing of the place, apparently. So there you go. And apparently, it's it's still in business. It got four and a half stars via a. Uh, Yelp or whatever site I looked up. So <laughs> apparently it's a pretty good. Uh, so if you're, if you're out in Raleigh, check it out. I asked Jeremy Lambert if he went there, and he never responded to me. So I don't know if that. I mean, Jeremy gets a lot of sex these days. So I, I don't know, but he's got all kinds of stuff going on over at Five Full. He's got the distraction. He's he's a busy man. So when he's uh, not eating at Vinny's Steakhouse in Denver, maybe we'll get him on sometime to get him back on here because I know he, he was on here. Of course, that's going to be a, this could cost some money. Well, it could. Um, We're gonna get Matt Hardy help us out on that. I don't know. CM Punk coming back. I don't know how much that costs, but we may have to up that um, to get to get him on here to get Jeremy back. So uh, we'll see. We could probably get Val Venus out of the force of Earth, Eddie Guerrero in China, and then Trish Stratus and Val Venus. We'd probably get Val. I, but I don't heard, think I want. I'm not sure I want to talk to Val. So I haven't heard Val in an interview in a while. It's probably he seems like a, I'd, I'd like to talk to Trish. If we get her on, that'd be good. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad idea. Uh, you you can you can pull some strings there and see what you can do. Um, speaking of all of that group, <laughs> uh, we get the lead into this next match, which, uh, is basically just, uh, Eddie and China, which were just, as we know, just, uh, quite a pair, uh, at this point in time and just them playing off of each other, I thought was just always a lot of fun. Um, and that, that leads us into the match here, which is going to be for the intercontinental championship, but it's going to be a tag team match, uh, which is, uh, Val Venus and Trish. Taking on Eddie and China, what do you think of these? Uh, WWE's done this a lot. The uh, the old intergender tag team match with the singles belt on the line. <sighs> not really, a, not really a fan of having the singles title on the line in a tag team match. And you know, I was not a really fan of China's Intercontinental Champion anyway. Back in the day, it just I don't know, it just. I'm, I wasn't. I guess I wasn't quite as open to things as I am nowadays. Where I'm like, okay, yeah, have a man be a champion, have a woman be a champion, whatever. But uh, back in the day, not really my cup of tea. Um, but you know, with Eddie and Val involved, this pretty good match. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting how Val Venus of all people is not interested in Trish Stratus. Like he was all focused on the Eric Canal Championship, and Trish just stand there, and Val was just not having any of it. Like his gimmick I mean, was made for that, right? So it was. Uh, he was taking things super seriously at this point for some reason. Uh, of course, that led to him joining that right the century group later on, I guess. But uh, so yeah, I was not really a fan of the, not a fan of tag, the title line in the tag team match. Intergender stuff. Also, that's one of those things where some people really like it and some people really don't. And uh, it's, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's kind of creepy. At least you know you had some good workers here. Trish was not exactly, you know, this Trish was just breaking in at this point. I don't think she'd had more than a few matches, and she did not do much of anything in this match, which is probably for the best. Yeah, this was very early. Yeah, very early in the, uh, she was certainly nowhere near what she would become 
in terms of her in-ring I, stuff. I thought China did a good job, too. I thought China's pretty good in this. Yeah, well, as you said, I mean, she's the new Intercontinental Champion. So, um, poor Val. The old Gorilla Press slam for the three count, which is, uh, I don't know if I'd ever seen that one match. Maybe the Ultimate Warrior. That's, that's exactly what I was about Jason to say. Jobbers, I don't know. I think that, that's the only one I could have think could have thought of would be the... the um... Yeah, China wins the match, and Eddie seems happy about it, and he wraps it around China's waist. But as I recall, I don't think it, I don't think things end up too well with him. No, I think Eddie eventually um, wants to see things his way, and uh, that that would lead to, as we know, more, more entertainment uh, with those two in particular. But... Uh, yes. Very entertaining pair, yes. They, they were very entertaining, and like you said, you can say what you want about you know China's reign and all this other stuff, but they were just they were always entertaining. And I mean, Eddie, like this is where, we, which we knew at this point, I think, but still, we know what Eddie would eventually, what level he would get to at WWE. But like this was, I mean, this guy, of course, even going back to WCW, like you just knew when he was on the screen, like there was just a different feeling like he just could always his presence was just i still think about it i'm like he had a presence i think unlike you could probably put a handful of guys in there maybe that have that type of presence that he had but like even in stuff like this you know it just it's always there and it's just my goodness his his charisma was just one of a kind um not making you know rvd theme song jokes there like it just he was he was something so you know what was around back in 1990, around back in 2000, excuse me? Radio WDF. Oh, yes. That's when I was going to How about for that? Now. Oh, my God. We had a plug for Radio WDF. <laughs> Apparently, they had the show. And, uh, wow. Do you, now, and this brings back some personal memories for you, for me. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember wrestling on the radio back in this time period? Oh, yeah. Did you have any local? Because I had a local show. I did not have a local show, but... Uh, there was a show on my radio on my one of my local radio stations, uh, Wednesday night main events with uh, Les Thatcher of wow, all people. Remember Les? Remember Les the yes. HWA guy. He's, I think he's still tooling around on the observer the Observer websites and <laughs> a veteran indeed. He was a veteran back then. So, so they had the big like three. They had like a big two hour show on Wednesday nights, and there used to be this weird show on Saturday nights like Wrestle Talk that came on like at midnight. That I'd try to listen to as well. And I don't recall Radio WF ever being on in my area, so I never I heard you it. Had any, I don't know if you had any wrestling radio shows in your area. I know not. there were some. I want to say, oh, man, there was there was a smaller promotion. I can't remember exactly what it was, but like I remember it was on one of those stations that you you know you probably didn't know existed, and you just you're fiddling around with the radio and you find it, and you're like, wait a second, I'm like, what are they what are they talking about and well, see now you can't. You don't really have wrestling on the radio anymore because we all have podcasts and yes. things like that. This is and your... really nobody. Nobody's on the radio anymore. No, um, yeah. this is your yeah. wrestling radio. So, four one one on wrestling. Your new uh, radio WWF. So stay tuned for forty minutes of nonstop rock. That's right. Well, what, if, what about that? Why don't we just do our own our radio WWF? Let's just call matches and. <laughs> um, I think that'd be entertaining. Which I mean, that's what people do now, anyways, on these watch-alongs and everything. But yeah, maybe we yeah, need to do more of this. So, well, we'll talk to Ashish about that. See if he can. Yeah, see I'm if there's sure, some interest there. I'm sure we can make that work. So, um, anyways, Radio WWF uh, coming soon to a 411 on wrestling podcast near you. Uh, Stephanie and Kurt, we get more of this. Um, Stephanie admitting Kurt is a good kisser. <laughs> how about Jan? How about Janet in this segment? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's Stephanie's friend Janet backstage, and uh, the question she asks is: Kurt a hunk or a hottie? 
<laughs> which I was not sure what the difference was, to be honest with you. I, I assume it's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Stephanie did confirm that Kerr's a good kisser, so there you have it. Well, at least we all know. Um, so well, that's good to know. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if uh, I don't know what the other opinions of the folks in wrestling would be on that issue. Well, I mean, listen, you've really got to have a long list of accolades. Could they ask Karen Jarrett, possibly, or to get into the WWE Hall of Fame, right? Like, you need stuff on your resume, and I feel like Good Kisser probably qualifies yeah. you in some sense. So, well, um, I mean, Mick Foley always claimed to be a good kisser as well. Oh, and he's in, you know, he's he's another one. He's so. in the Hall of Fame, so there you have it. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting group. So yeah, that was what man that's Randy Savage's problem for a long time. Nah, I don't know that we could uh, we could get if to the ask, bottom of that. Uh, I know who we could ask about that. To be honest with you, there's another episode. Well, I know there's someone we could ask whose face was <laughs> plastered all over the uh, the A and E documentary that still uh, to this day is one of. <laughs> Speaking of which, hey, we're gonna have uh, coming soon. We're gonna have the uh, Dark Side of the Ring second half of the season. Not too long from now, right? Yeah. Probably what a month, less than a month. Uh, somewhere it's in there. so yeah we'll have those coming up here soon on the podcast but uh then we get a nice uh recap here of everything going on with this uh jerry lawler and taz feud <laughs> oh my so jim ross called the man a piece of garbage which uh led to all this which i mean why is jim ross calling taz a piece of garbage anyway that kind of started the whole thing that's that's you know it's kind of a thing i gotta tell you though i mean i enjoyed this for what it was but i'm you know, we're from the area where you're right. pretty much a, meant to be a Jerry Lawler fan because he was pretty much God in the Tennessee and Kentucky area for a very long time. And, you know, even though he was, what was he? He's in his 50s at this point, right? Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> these days being 50 is nothing. Back in 2000, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> so it was kind of shocking stuff. And, uh, yeah, Taz, Taz did a pretty good job being a dick in this whole feud. Yet... Being the East W fan that I was back in this time, I wondered, like, what the hell are they doing to us? Yeah. And I still kind of wonder that here in 2021. <laughs> what the hell are they doing with us? Yeah, I don't know what they were doing either. Um, I, it did I, start his announcing career. So, I mean, I mean it did. That. And I, I remember the only thing I remember from this was the candy jar for whatever reason, like where Taz just breaks the, the buildup, I guess, where the, uh, he uses the candy jar to break it over. There were just candy jars all over the place and, yeah. and on Dead Television at this point. They were everywhere. Somebody was, somebody was a big mark for sugar. Yeah, well, it's um, <laughs> I think the the biggest thing in this match was Taz's entrance, where yes. he comes out with the... Because <laughs> JR had gotten his eye damaged in right. the backstage segment where Taz commandeered the, the King's rental car, and he spray-painted it, and he had JR sit in the front seat, and he decides to hit the... Uh, window there with the baseball bat what do you it's probably baseball there or something he yeah he, he breaks the glass and oh my god jim ross covered in glass he's like my eye <laughs> like he's terry funk or something it's, it was a it's a pretty good piece of business man i i'm telling you this was a sold out the mid-south coliseum no yeah, doubt that's true like this this was like this should have been a, a tar and feather match like they should have been like this <laughs> they should have went back to this uh this was the match that was made for it i think um, but I mean, Hey, at least the, uh, the good guys uh, come out on top, right? As uh, Lawler gets to win here. And this one did I not believe they JR call a match by himself because of his 2021, you've had like two people come out to fill in for Lawler. Yeah. Well, it's true. 
You ever had to have like Michael Cole or somebody come down because you can't have one person call a match for God's sakes. But I think um, I think Jr. here in 2000 pulled off the the bias commentator much better than Michael Cole did. Uh, Eleven years later, or whenever it was, when he had the heel of Michael Cole. Oh God. There yeah. were some pretty amazing spots here. Though you saw the Lawler drop kick. You saw Taz going for a Swanton, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. You saw Taz no sell the pile driver. He said something bad. You saw Tay Long taking a bump. And then you saw Taz choking out Jerry Lawler and yelling at JR. He's going to choke him out every he finishes with Lawler. So then, of course, JR comes over and hits Taz with a candy jar. Cuts up his own hand. Oh. And JR's yelling about how Taz can go to hell. So, good times. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, so this was, like you said, it. look, if this had been 10 minutes, we'd probably be like, oh, my goodness, what's the deal here? But it went four minutes, so I thought it was Meltzer fine. Meltzer gave it a star and a fourth. What a crime. <laughs> Come on. He gave that less than he gave uh frickin' uh uh the open no, he gave less than he gave Eddie in China versus Val and Trish, which I would have put over that. Well have been close. Maybe it's again Eddie. Eddie's career. I was gonna point to another match, but actually for the first two matches got lower ratings, so Oh this that's what we said at the beginning. Like this show starts off with a lot of interesting stuff not necessarily great stuff but it's just like even the crowd was that's what we just said like raleigh it just the crowd was into this i mean you can it's 2000 it's august like things are just they're so hot right now it's hot i mean it doesn't really matter what you put out there knowing that i mean we said this about the attitude era like everything you go back and watch now like some of that stuff is just not good but the crowd loved it and at the end of the day that's really all that matters. So <laughs> if you're if you're doing good business and the crowd loves it, that's really what matters. So um, yeah, and like you said, this was this was fine. I thought for what it was, uh, very short. But that leads us into the next one where you've still got Shane um, basically trying to get away from Steve Blackman. Uh, I don't but... know why Shane needed multiple interviewers throughout the night. Like we had Coach talking to him first, and we had Lil and Garcia talking to him here. I guess everybody wanted to get that scoop from Shane McMahon. Yeah, I think so. Um, Shane was Shane was everywhere, but uh, who knew that uh, 20, 20 years later, Shane would still be a, a staple uh, in these matches. So, uh, but it, this was—I mean, I thought this was pretty good. Like, <laughs> this is one of those where, like, you know, you don't really remember it until you go back and watch it. But how many matches? And I, I can look this up, but did they have more than one match Shane and Blackman? Because I feel like any time, or maybe this was the only one. And I was just thinking, Oh, well, I remember it being good, but I feel like, did they have another one somewhere? Because I, I was thinking then the chemistry was usually pretty good between these two, but I don't remember exactly how long this feud lasted. Well, uh, but well, I said they shared where it started, where apparently Shane Blackman had a match on raw. I think it was one of those gimmicks where Foley was punishing Shane or something. I don't know. Yeah. But eventually what happened was, well, first Intestine and Albert came out, and they didn't work, so Ed, Edge and Christian came out, and they helped Shane beat Blackman for the title. And so then Mick Foley decides they're going to suspend the 24-7 rule just to make sure that Shane would have to have this match. Which is good, because, you know, otherwise, if you still have a 24-7 rule, Shane could just have somebody beat him. Well, this was when the hardcore title was enjoyable, um, when the, the 24-7 concept was enjoyable, which I I don't know. It's, um, it's got a little differently in the second go-around uh, in WWE, but... I thought this was I was good. Like I enjoyed it, um, and I think Steve Blackman's one of those. We haven't really talked about him a ton, but you go back. Like if you pick your spots with Blackman, if you put him in there in the right scenario, like he usually delivered some pretty good stuff. Uh, I can't say he was the most charismatic person in the world, but still, 
I you mean, know, some weird charismatic moments, like not yeah. so much like during the interviews, like during his, the matches, he would yell like something like, this is my house. <laughs> right. or when he, he got out the sticks, he'd yell, it's party time. And it's fun, you know, it's, and he, he hit Shane with the sticks and whatnot. And he had a TNA, good old Tess Nauber, come down to help yep. Shane again. And Blackman eventually fights up back from that. And I don't know why, but Shane McMahon decides that the best way to escape Steve Blackman is to start climbing up the entrance. May he's afraid of heights. May think Shane may think Blackman's afraid of heights. I mean, Shane would Shane would have a lot more to come in terms of <laughs> uh, the bumps he would be taking, uh, because yeah, as we know, I mean, this was this was one of those where like they've showed this on a lot of stuff, like all their video packages and stuff. I feel like yeah. um, this is. I don't one... think it was seventy-five feet, but it's pretty high up. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was seventy-five feet either, but it was pretty pretty good length and. This was one you saw a lot, and as we said, like this was the era where Shane's taking these bumps, and um, of course we remember the King of the Ring match with Angle and all this other stuff. Like it's just, yeah, Shane had a lot. It's Big Show. Like didn't he take a? Didn't Shane take a big bump with that match against Big Show? Was that? Uh, I think Shane jumped off the high place onto Big Show. Was that Backlash two thousand? Maybe one of those. It was a Backlash. I forget which one, but yeah, I think Shane jumps off the. He jumps off a high spot with an elbow to beat Big Show. Is that what I think happened there? There you go. But, Backlash 2001. Last man standing match, Shane and Big Show. Yeah, that's in this it. instance, it was Shane falling off a high place. And Blackman is at least smart enough to climb down a little bit before he does the elbow drop and lands on him. So, <laughs> smart guy there. And I will also say that the crash pad here, which obviously there was a crash pad, it doesn't look as bad as like that. We all made fun of that AEW crash pad recently with Chris Jericho and how it looked pretty bad. But this one doesn't look so bad, mostly because of how bad it looks. Like it just looks like they threw like whatever they could find under there, so it just kind of looks like a big old, big old mess, pretty much. So you don't see like the big pieces of foam sticking out, it's just like you know, just look garbage, pretty much. So, you know, because it looks bad, it, it looks bad. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Um, no, this was good stuff. I, I thought this was the best thing on the show thus far. Uh, just with, you know, it went about 10 minutes, Blackman wins, you get that big sort of moment uh, with Shane there going down onto the crash pad, and uh, yeah, this was this was fun. Uh, I thought it was really good stuff, and this, you know, as we always say, play, play to the strengths, and I thought this played to the strengths of Blackman, and uh, you certainly got more out of Shane, and we know kind of what he's capable of at this point in his career, and yeah, this was this was good, so... Well, and of course, since Shane is dead now, we go back to Stephanie. <laughs> and Stephanie, is he's, she's understandably very worried about her brother here. And Kurt Angle walks in, and Kurt says, oh, Shane's, he's, he's, he was moving. He's all right. Kurt, when, <laughs> Kurt didn't seem as concerned about this. But uh, he does give Stephanie a hug. And when you know it, that's right when Mick Foley walks in. How about mm-hmm. that? Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. And then Foley, Foley with the line, he says that Shane land right on his kisser. So they should go check on him. He and Stephanie go check on him. Yeah, the tension. I have the kisser. The tension continues, right, uh, between these two, between Stephanie McMahon and noted good kisser Kurt Angle. Um, then we get to this is where we, things picked up with Shane and Blackman, but this is where it's like you put your your foot on the gas and you only let up for a, a couple things later on. But uh, things get really good here as. We go into uh, the build, uh, and we kind of look at everything that led to this uh, two out of three falls match with Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. Um, This is where, you know, Benoit had been basically going after Jericho, going after the ribs, all this other stuff. And, um, yeah, this, 
what do you say, right? Like we could we could insert any show that these two pretty much ever <laughs> wrestled on for the most part and I mean, you, you know what you're getting here. This was just good stuff, you know, just you're getting your technical wrestling just back and forth. Um, unbelievably stiff at times where these two are just taking it to each other. Uh, and this was, I mean, this was a Chris Jericho versus Chris Bon Chris Benoit match. Um, and this was, yeah, this was, this was fantastic. I wasn't quite sure. The one thing that bugged me, which is a small thing, but right after Benoit wins the first fall, they start playing his music for like five seconds. I did notice that. I feel like that's one of and those. They did the same it's... thing for Jericho too. Once Jericho in the second fall, he plays yeah. for like five seconds. So I don't know if they really need to do that, unless they just weren't sure that people knew that the fall was over. Or... Right. Yeah. Because I don't remember Ric Flair's music playing when he beat Ricky Steamboat in the first fall, <laughs> in 1989. True. I don't remember that happening. I think music was a little bit different back then, anyways. Entrance uh, themes, but still, it probably a little. Yeah, it's a little more complicated back in that day, but. Uh, but, you know, that, that cheater, Chris Benoit, he had to use the ropes here at Beach Erica. I mean, what kind of honorable man has to use ropes? But, yeah, this is a pretty pretty darn good match, as you would expect. Pretty much exactly what you expect from these guys. They had some better ones. I think the, yeah. I think that everybody would cite the ladder match at Royal Rumble, was it, two, was it 2001? Yeah, coming up in yeah, several months from here. They'd probably cite that one as the best. And, this, yeah, this one wasn't quite that good. But, uh, you know, perfectly fine pro wrestling. Yep. What about 13 minutes? Uh, as you said, Benoit uh, cheats to win. And uh, yeah, this is, you know, uh, thir- for 13 minutes like this, just this flew by. It was a breeze. Uh, but, you know, that's what you get with these two. And it was, it was, uh, it was really good. And like you said, I- I'm still going to, I would still rank the uh, the ladder match at the Rumble ahead of this one. And, uh, but this was, this was still good stuff uh, for sure. Uh, so Triple H is finally here. Uh, the show yeah, is- thanks for showing up. <laughs> <laughs> show's been going on a while but triple h has arrived uh and uh of course even more we we get we have to make sure we get in everything so everyone knows every little detail which i'm fine with you know hammering home as much as you need to uh, i will say that kurt stephanie kiss was replayed more times than anything i can remember in recent memory on, on a on any show it was everywhere and I see a lot. And you, gosh, they they made a habit out of replaying everything on their show for years. Yeah. And so that still kind of pales in comparison to what we saw here. I was gonna say, I, th- I think it's always funny sometimes, like when you, which I understand. I mean, look, people, you're trying to get the viewer that, especially perhaps, when it's three hours long. You know, you got to right. replace. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like sometimes they would do it like immediately after, and they show it again. But I, you know, when you have a three hour raw and stuff, I get it. People are probably tuning in and out, which the ratings suggest, but. Um, yeah, I get why you have to replay it a lot, but, uh, yeah, this, this was everywhere. So speaking of, um, everywhere, there were bodies everywhere in this next match, which was, uh, the TLC match between Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys and the Dudley Boys. And, uh, this is for the WWF Tag Team Championships. And Steve, we've kind of talked this one up here, knowing we were going to get to SummerSlam 2000. Uh, and uh, going back and watching this, just a just a spectacle. I mean, it's as we knew. Anytime you put tables, ladders, or chairs around these three, <laughs> usually works out fine. Uh, maybe not from a a body standpoint for those guys in particular, but uh, this was just. I mean, what do you say, right? Like this was just another one that goes about twenty minutes. Uh, there's just stuff flying everywhere, <laughs> bodies all over the place, uh, and Edge and Christian as they seemingly did in a lot of these scenarios, uh, come out on top uh, here in this big triple threat TLC match. 
Well, you know, it, when we, when we did the top seven SummerSlam matches a little while back, this was at uh, number two, I believe. So, yeah, it's a, it's pretty fun. And I'm one of those people who I've been I've been one of those guys who says I don't want to see a ladder match ever again. Um, TLC at this point it doesn't do it for me as much as it used to, but uh, it's, when you see the early ones, the early ones hold up so well because these guys kind of knew how to work it. They would do stuff that would uh, it didn't seem as contrived as it does these days. Yeah, like most of these ladder matches, most of these TLC matches these days, everything seems a little contrived. It seems like they're you know setting up things uh, that it, it just doesn't quite jibe as well as it did back in the day here with these guys. It's just, you know, some people just have a knack for it, and these guys did. And I am amazed that four out of six of them are on uh, national television now in 2021. It's amazing. <laughs> that is a very good I point. mean, some of them took some time off, but they're they're still cooking. You know, they're still here. One of them's the Impact Champion, for God's sake. <laughs> one of them is the Impact Champion, and uh, one of them had a uh, main event uh Universal title match at the most recent WrestleMania. Um, well, he was a jobber in that match, let's be honest. Well, he got, you know, double pinned uh, <laughs> by the head of the table. That's that's what you get sometimes. So, uh, You know, and, and poor Edge, you got to feel for a guy, because I'm sure Edge probably thought he's going to be like the world Universal champion by this point, and his little buddy Christian gets title instead. How about that? It's funny how life works sometimes. Well, yeah, it, it is. I don't think a lot of us expected Christian to be the Impact champion, and 2021, but uh, we also probably didn't expect uh, what AEW is going to do on, uh, well, as we're taping this, uh, in a couple of days at uh, Rampage, the first dance uh, with CM Punk. So, well, when Daniel Garcia stands out at the end of that show, y'all are going to be shocked. But I'm not going to be shocked. That's right. Daniel Garcia, the next the next big thing. Um, he's something. So I think Daniel Bryan, I think Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, he, he could, he and Gar- that could be a match there. Oh, yeah. I can see Garcia. I, I bet Brian sees that guy. He's like, oh, I could do something with that guy. They'll do that at some point. Um, and speaking of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, uh, if you want to go back and listen to our SummerSlam 2013 review, which was done a couple weeks ago, cheap plug. Uh, we did that and looked at those two matches. They were on. They were on that show. Yes. They they were on that show when they had uh, two big matches. But uh, this TLC match, uh, you can watch it at any time in any era. It's always going to hold up. I think. Uh, just a terrific match from top to bottom. Uh, I would assume, Steve. I don't, you know, I'd have to look this up, but I would assume this was p- probably a top three match in WWE in 2000. I would, I mean, surely, right? Like I would, I'm trying to yeah, think of anything else off the I, top of my head, but if I remember the play, yeah, the list from around that time, I think it was that or near the top. Which I assume you had like the Triple H Cactus matches. I assume the street oh, fights yeah. probably up there pretty high. Um, Again, there's probably a lot more. Fully Loaded good, 2000. It was a good year for of Wrestling in 2000. Yeah, wasn't Fully Loaded 2000. Was that the show that... Uh... Yeah, it had Rock and Benoit and Triple H and Jericho and yep. Angle and Undertaker. Yeah, so there was a... There, like you said earlier, there's a lot of good stuff in this year. But I, I would safely assume without looking it up, this was... Yeah, this TLC match was right up there near the top. Uh, if we're just talking, you know, the landscape in WWE and I... Or WWF, I don't... I don't recall WCW having any <laughs> anything in 2000 uh, that would that would match this. So uh, I could be wrong though. I'm I'm happy if someone wants to find some evidence of that. But uh, this was great stuff. And uh, well, we're back to the main event here, uh, feuds. As uh, yes. Triple H wants to know what's going on 
and uh, with Stephanie, she blames Angle, and kind of a weird dynamic there because they're like they're just now talking about this whole thing or what? Uh, I put in my notes. I don't know why they can have this conversation <laughs> some, sometime between Thursday and Sunday. Well. I mean, Triple H, I mean, I want to know why the guy was so late to the show. That's what I want to know. But, yeah, what was he up to? I don't know. I mean, um, we're accusing Stephanie of infidelity here and whatnot. What, what exactly is Triple H do, up to? Maybe, maybe North Carolina, right? Maybe he's with Flair. Maybe he's um, hmm. styling and profiling Ric Flair. And, and, and Rick Raleigh. were hanging out? You never know. So What the hell? You know, I'm trying to think what the hell Rick was doing at this point in 2000. Was he on vacation? Oh God, who knows? Probably trying was he, to. Was he doing the feud with uh, David and Russo and all that, all that amigate bullshit? <laughs> you have you have piqued my interest because I am very interested <laughs> to see what Ric Flair was doing at this time in two thousand. Oh boy, the, the future. There's a future podcast, Ric Flair in two thousand. Well, this is gonna put a quick halt <laughs> because I've got to know this because you have just really got my interest going here. I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, but I want to say this was around that time in 2000 where he's uh, he's doing a lot of stuff in WCW. Um, yeah, they were they were doing a lot of stuff in WCW at that point. Not not a lot of it was good, but they're doing a lot of stuff. I think this would have been. I want to say it's probably during the Flair and Russo feud, and I don't know on the dates, but I think it would have been around the time where Flair loses to Russo in the tag match and gets his head shaved and takes some time off. Well, Flair did win the WCW title twice in 2000, so I'm not sure exactly. One of the, I remember one time was one was because well, Flair won the title, and then he had like a he had an inner ear problem or something, with, which led to him like passing out after a match or something, which led to uh, him being stripped of the title, which led to Kevin Nash winning the title, which led to Kevin Nash getting title Ric Flair. Here you go. I found this. I, I had to look this up. So yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That 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 was something that happened. So and, what we got? All right. So in 2000, his last match in 2000 on June the 5th, 2000 on Nitro, Vince Russo defeats Ric Flair, still cage match in Atlanta on Ju- June. The last battle of Atlanta. I remember that. <laughs> yes. June the 11th. At Great American Bash, Ric Flair defeats David Flair in a retirement match in Baltimore. And then the next night on Nitro, in another retirement match, David Flair and Vince Russo defeat Rick and Reed Flair on Nitro. David's retirement didn't last very long. No. So, boy, that's something. And then Flair didn't wrestle again until the March 5th, 2001 edition of Nitro. So I, I guess he was on hiatus at this point. It's, yeah, he, so there you go. Triple H is hanging out with Ric Flair. That's, That's it. We just solved the mystery right there uh, in that. But uh, before but we... Speaking of classic uh, feuds, speaking of classic wrestling, uh, much akin to what, what, what Ric Flair is involved with at that point, uh, we have the cat. She's out there with Al Snow for reasons that I, I don't know. Uh, nobody knows why. The announcers didn't know either. We don't know why Al, why Al Snow is there. She's facing Terry. And Terry comes out. And she strips down to her, you know, her bikini and whatnot. And yeah, she's with Perry Saturn, who comes out and decides she's, he's going to cover up Terry with the uh, robe or with the jacket or whatever. So I don't know why Saturn. Uh, I don't know what Saturn was thinking. I don't know what anybody was thinking, honestly. I can tell you that this was a stink face match. <laughs> you are correct. Because there's an incident where Rikishi gave Terry the stink face hmm. uh, at the behest of the cat. Which, of course, led to Terry attacking the cat, WF New York, and giving her a stink face. 
Yeah. So now we've got a we've got it's not just a stink face match. It is a thong stink face match. In case you're wondering. <laughs> So I don't know why Saturn is so upset about the whole the skin stuff because I mean it's a thong stink face match. What do you want? Yeah, um, you know we talked about TNA showed up earlier in the the show. Well, this That's was never not. Yeah, this was never. this was your actual. Uh, yeah. Okay. Version <laughs> of that. Total non-stab action. <laughs> this is yeah. This was uh, this was that. So there was some cat fighting involved. There was a cat smacking the ass and riding the Bronco, if you will. This is this is one of those matches we we teased the uh, you know us on commentary earlier, but like this is one we probably should have been on commentary for. Maybe we need to go back and add this to our list of uh, we we'll do our own like um, video commentary DVDs. You think we could release those and songs? I'm sure just, they, yeah, I'm sure they would be very happy with that. Yeah, I'm sure I they mean, I'm sure they'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think uh, they're they're replaying this one in the road to SummerSlam 2021 um, as a classic moment. But probably a lot of people. Um, you had them going for covers, which I don't know why anybody's going for covers in this match, but that's what they were doing. A lot, a lot of people probably remember this one for different reasons, but uh, not for the wrestling, to say the least. As uh, it was well, the cat getting the win. In this... the cat got the win, by the way. But <laughs> three minutes. She used Alsner's head to get the win there. Yeah. Well, there's another. Oh, this is yeah. Well, what a match! Uh, and the celebration was. was uh, celebration had uh, Al putting Cat up on his shoulders, and then Al turned Cat around on his shoulders, so he got a face full of uh, well, Cat. Well, yeah. Um, there's no easy Meltzer way to transition. Gave us, uh, <laughs> Meltzer gave us a dud, unfortunately. I could see that. Um, I was. I thought he might go a little bit higher on that one. I don't know, but uh, well, it's a Cat. Cat and Terry were never exactly confused with uh, ring generals. Let's just say that. They had their contributions, don't get me wrong. Yeah, that was the, they. Yeah, nice girls. Well, you talk about duds. Uh, WWF New York was <laughs> next up. <Yeah. laughs> the APA or WWF yeah. New York, and uh, here's another thing. Um, WWF New York was an interesting, interesting experiment, I guess. Um, always fascinates nice. me. I feel like there should be a documentary on that. I'd like to know everything behind that. Uh, but how would they spin that one? Yeah, it's well. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna find out a lot a lot of spinning's already been done, but we talk about some of these. They can't upcoming. blame Julia. They, can, they can't blame Giuliani because they're friends with Giuliani, so that's not gonna work. The spin is good on some of these upcoming documentaries they're gonna have. So who knows? Did what, you uh, did you send your cable bill to get your rock sunglasses? I did not. Actually, you know what? I probably did. I'm not gonna lie. Now that I think about <laughs> it, I probably did because I love those rock sunglasses. I probably did, but I don't remember getting them. I, I honestly don't know. But I can see him doing that. I was all in on that kind of stuff. So, why did they want your cable bill? That seemed a little. That seemed a little fishy to me. <laughs> like, why do they want? Why do they want to know what I'm watching on my cable? I might have some other pay-per-views on there. They don't need to know about that. That's true. Um, I'm sure a lot of parents are probably. Oh my gosh! You, I imagine you imagine <laughs> the kids asking the parents for their cable bill. <laughs> And dad's like, no, son, I don't think you need to see that. You know what, little Timmy? Actually, we can't send this because, um, <laughs> sorry, not going to work. Yeah, because once Timmy sees that cable bill, he's going to ask some questions. Timmy may have had questions about the next match, which uh, <laughs> was Kane and the Undertaker part. I don't even know what at this point. Um, but this was... It's an interesting era for Kane and Undertaker, too, because Undertaker is full in... Uh... yeah. Full in American badass there at this point. So different. Like it doesn't really feel like Kane and the Undertaker. Like it just And they had the they had the video before a match where Kane turns on the Undertaker, 
and Chuck slams him through the ring. And they didn't really adequately explain this. Uh, Kane did say they did because he's a monster. Yeah. I don't know what that. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but well, it's what you can do when you're a monster, I guess. But <laughs> but uh, what? What? Kane's just gonna do anything? He's gonna say I did because I'm a monster. Well, he set JR on fire. He does it because he's a monster. So. Well, that's that's a cop out. <laughs> Why can't this guy have reasons for doing anything? Yeah. Well, that's not, that's not gonna hold up in court of law. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, this, yeah, this, I mean, I, we've, this has always been the common thing, right? Like, when you talk about chemistry, Kane and The Undertaker as opponents, just, they didn't have a lot of great matches. Um, no, they didn't. I mean, their their strengths and their weaknesses were largely the same, so they couldn't really cover up each other's weaknesses. And this was a weird one, because Undertaker was working that Lucha style, and Undertaker <laughs> decided he's going to go for Kane's mask. He, no. he, he's ripping at this mask, keeps going after it like he's working arena in Mexico. I'm not quite sure what that's about. <laughs> and it wasn't, ex- nobody explained this, of course, because nobody knows. And this goes on for a while. And eventually the mask came, uh, comes off, and Kane just uh, backs away from the ring, and they play Undertaker's music, and the match never started. So nobody won, nobody lost. This was Great. a no DQ match, right? Like, am I wrong about this? I don't or? know. They didn't ring a, they didn't ring a bell. Wow, I'm just thinking. There was no bell rung, so there was yeah. no winner, no loser. It's just the the match never happened. Well, it happened. It's out there. We had to sit through it. We, we, watch these two brawl around and Undertaker going for the mask like he's Doctor Wagner Jr. or something. I don't know what the hell's Wagner Jr. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, this this is this is not not one of your better Undertaker Kane matches. Which, as we said, there weren't a lot of great Undertaker Kane matches, but this was probably near the bottom of the list. Well, and as we know, I mean. Not well. I mean, and I am months. I am not ranking Undertaker Kane matches where anybody comes up with that idea. <laughs> That's not happening. I couldn't name. I probably couldn't name more than two or three. I guess, but um, yeah, beyond that, I'm I'm not really sure. So, did Undertaker and Isaac Yankum? Did they ever? Surely, Undertaker. Isaac, I don't know if Undertaker. Well, I remember that the first match they would have had would have been Smoky Mountain Wrestling when Undertaker wrestled Unibomb at one yeah, of the true. big stairs they had there, and that's how that's how they went. That's how they discovered Mister Yankum. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Mr. Yankum. Um, there's... Oh, Dr. Yankum, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's another cheap plug. We, we got in another one there. SummerSlam 95, our most recent retro review. Go back and listen to that one if you want. Kane, not exactly in the running for Mr. SummerSlam so far here. Unless you can think of some great Kane matches uh, from later in SummerSlam history. I think I would rather go back and you and I just do watch uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling than have to go back <laughs> and watch a lot of these Kane Undertaker matches at times. But. These two would be paired up again, as we know, down the road, as uh, they would fight the two-man power trip uh, to come. If somebody interviews Undertaker one of these days, they could ask him why he went for Kane's mask at SummerSlam 2000. Well, that leads us into our main event. Of course, going into it, Kurt Angle's on the phone, Stephanie, Triple H are trying to... We've got Linda... Who makes this... a phone call? Do you can tell us this series dated because Kurt's actually making a phone call? A lot's going on here. Like, he's uh, on the phone now. Well, no. Well, we have to mention that Steph said that it was uh, it was mom. Oh yeah, so Linda. And mom, yeah, mom, it was actually mom. Yeah, she acts like she's talking to Linda, and Triple H wants the phone, and for some reason Stephanie actually gives the phone to Triple H. I, and then Triple H like, oh, your mom hung up on me, which I wouldn't blame her anyway. Yeah, I don't think Linda wasn't a big Hunter fan in two thousand from what from what I remember. No, and. Um... Yeah, things would. So like, it's shocking. Like Triple H seems shocked that that she would hang up on him. Like, as we know too, things would get interesting for Linda several months later, uh, leading into WrestleMania 17. Uh, Yeah, there's. Well, 
this does bring us to our triple threat match. Uh, Kurt Angle, Triple H, The Rock for the WWF title. And, uh, I mean, on paper, like, I think we all expected this to be good stuff. I mean, you knew when you had these three in there. The dynamic, I don't, you know, I don't. this was not a five-star match or anything, but it was entertaining. Of course, the one thing, um, you know, we all remember from this. The one big thing is Kurt Angle bouncing off his head and getting a concussion, yeah. Uh, Angle has talked about this a lot over the years, I guess, which I think he's, I think he's done this one on his podcast. I remember him saying uh, the different things about it, just not really knowing, you know, what was going on. And that's, it's one of those things where it's like, you think back to that and you're like, man, we know like during this era and guys working through injuries and stuff, but my goodness. No, they couldn't do this now. No, if uh, this would not happen here in 2000, they would not drag Kurt Angle back down to the ring to make sure they do the finish. That would, that would not happen these days. So they have to come up with something new, which would be, which would be crazy. But I, I enjoyed it. I mean, Kurt comes down first, of course, and he gets on the microphone. And he apologizes. People want him to apologize. So he apologizes for not kissing Stephanie a heck of a lot sooner. <laughs> Love it. He's oh. a giver, for God's sakes. And, you know, runs down Triple H. And Triple H runs down, and they start fighting. And you know damn well Rock's going to take his sweet time getting there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rock is in no rush to get down there, I don't think. I had a note, JR, saying that Kurt Angle has uh, carnal intentions for Stephanie. Carnal. Carnal intentions. Oh, love it. Which, of course, leads up to the tail breaking on pedigree and Angle bouncing his head off the thing. And the famous soundbite, he don't have a damn clue where he is, which was replayed for years on the Please Do Not Try Us at Home thing there, along with the rest of this whole segment with Kurt Angle, <laughs> the poor bastard. So, but yeah, Rock does have to come down at this point because, yeah, Kurt Angle can't do anything, so... And then they do the the main event style where they battle, brawl around the entrance and whatnot. It's a good time. And, you know, a lot of good stuff with Rock and Triple H. They had some good chemistry, I think. Those were two pretty good wrestlers at this point, and people were into it. And wouldn't you believe it, we cut backstage, and, uh, you know, I'm skipping something because we don't cut backstage because Stephanie just wanders down. Even though Triple H didn't ask her to, she wanders down to the ring, and, you know, Triple H is mad at first. And then he's like, get me the belt. It's like, dude, make up your mind. You, you either want her there or you don't. Like, we're either not, I, I don't know. These these things bug me. And, of course, Stephanie gets the belt. She gets in the ring. And when do you know she hit Triple H the belt? How about that? Look at that. Huh. Huh. Foisted by your own canard. So, Sergeant Slaughter escorted her out of there, which is nice to see, see Sergeant Slaughter out there. So then, you know, while Rock and Triple H are still wrestling, this is where Stephanie wants the concussed card angle. To go out there and help Triple H. <laughs> well, 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 I don't know why Stephanie thought that was going to happen, but uh, Kurt Angle says, oh, I'll do anything for you, Stephanie. And so Stephanie drags him out there. And <laughs> when you know it, Kurt Angle does not help Triple H. Huh. Not at all. <laughs> um, when you know it, when you know it won the power either. Oh. Kurt Angle, good kisser, not a great friend of Triple H. Um, no. So. so some more some more shenanigans, which lead to Stephanie getting laid out by Triple H, of course. Uh, you get Rock pitting Triple H, and uh, you know the whole thing ends with Kurt Angle carrying Stephanie McMahon out the, out of the building like a true hero, uh, a friend of society that Kurt Angle is. And we play Kurt Angle's music, even though he did not win the match. He has won the hearts of America, obviously. Yep. Well, yeah, the Rock retains here, and um, it's like I mean, it just it turns into one of those with the Angle thing and all that. Like it was. You know, you're basically rocking Triple H for the most part here. And a good match. I don't think you put it in the great category. 
Um, but but good. And you know, as we said, if you've got these three involved, it's it's rarely going to be worse than good. So um, yeah. So this was there's an imp- there's a, a downside. You know, there's a reason the match probably didn't get yeah. to the heights it could have because you're missing one of the competitors, which not really something they can they can control too much. No. And that was SummerSlam 2000. Um, eventually, as we know, Triple H and Angle would continue their thing. They'd have the match at Unforgiven. Yeah. Um, Triple H, of a course. A very interesting turn of events there. Yeah. A lot of people thought at that time that the possibly the smart thing to do, since you know, Kurt was heel and Triple H was kind of trending towards being a babyface, everybody thought at that point, the smart thing to do would be to have Stephanie turn on her husband and join up with Kurt Angle, which would lead to more things with Kurt and Triple H and Stephanie and whatnot, and, uh, which we saw a plan of Stephanie and Triple H feuding later on. But at this time, it was decided that, that no, Triple H did not want to break up with Stephanie because, well, there were things going on backstage, folks. There were some backstage shenanigans going on between Triple H and Stephanie McMahon that would... Uh, lead to certain things happening that would lead to the state of WWE in 2021, pretty much. Yeah, well, I guess if we if we still include <laughs> Triple H in that. <laughs> well, he's he's involved somehow. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot there. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast right there. Um, leads to a lot of things. It's a very yeah. interesting time in wrestling, and you wonder if certain things. Had, what if, what if Stephanie had turned and joined Kurt Angle at that point? So yeah. would that have would that have shifted things? Where would Triple H be now? He'd probably be in AEW. <laughs> He's, he'd be in Raleigh with Ric Flair doing the same thing he was doing before this show. So uh, there you um, go. <laughs> that's that would be it. But uh, yes, that was that was SummerSlam 2000, a very entertaining show. We have to do the poll. We yeah, uh, we got to do the poll. We have the poll via E Yada, by the way. Shout out to E Yada. I don't know what they're up to these days, but. Uh, is a you know Meltzer had the polls and he was doing them via Yacht at this point. So they had the question of what did you think of SummerSlam? Thumbs up got seventy nine percent. Thumbs down got two percent. Thumbs in the middle got five percent, and then fourteen percent didn't see a show. Wow. So they were WWE fans. The other the other question here that kind of is kind of pertinent to this: if you were in charge, who would you have picked to win the SummerSlam main event? Now The Rock gets thirty two point one percent. Kurt Angle gets 14.4%, and Kurt Angle gets 53.5%, uh, which may, this hmm. kind of jibes what I remember. There are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people are Kurt Angle fans back in this, during this time period. Yeah, he was he was on a roll. I mean, we know 2000 was a, a huge... I probably, I probably would have gone Kurt Angle, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm I, mean... to, I think I probably would have said, yeah, put, put over Kurt. Why not? Well, and that was SummerSlam 2000. Uh, Steve, as we know, we've got SummerSlam coming up uh, this weekend and uh, should be an interesting show but uh, anything you would like to plug uh, before we wrap up this episode oh there's a lot of stuff going on as usual we got the i know there's a uh, new column of botches that will be coming pretty soon so you can check that out we'll have a new top seven pretty soon and uh if you're if we're if you're heading to SummerSlam weekend if you're thinking about gambling on the SummerSlam matches you can always go to thechairshot.com where I will have my SummerSlam gambling picks. Good luck. Yes, check out all of our, our SummerSlam coverage we said. Uh, Jeffrey Harris will be there covering it, and uh, we'll have everything covered over at 41mania.com. Um, so we'll have that. Be sure to subscribe, and as always, I'll have the link to the GoFundMe uh, for Larry Zocker's family in the show notes. So continue to share and contribute to that. 
Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.